in, in, the, in the last days, and he talks about a parade of people that are marching into the lake of fire. And he says the very first one, the very first person, the type of person that is going to be walking in, leading the parade into the lake of fire, is the fearful. The fearful. The reluctant. Those that were afraid to act. Those that were afraid to receive Christ for fear of what others might think or what others might say. Jesus, in, in the parable in, of the talents in Matthew 25, blessed the, the man that he had given five talents to and blessed the one he had given three talents to. But the one he had given one talent to, the one that Jesus ostracized and cast out and took the talent that he had and he had buried, because if you remember the story, the man told his master, I understood that you are an austere man and you reap where you don't, haven't sown. And I was afraid. Afraid. Fear kept him from doing what he really wanted to do. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been afraid, so afraid of something that you, that you didn't act on what you really wanted to do? Have you, ever, have you ever wanted to really share the gospel with somebody but you were just kind of afraid of what they would say? I can tell you what they're going to say. They're going to say one of two things. Yes or no? Because the only thing, only thing that they can do is say no. But we allow ourselves to be intimidated by, by fear. And in the story that, that was read here in, in 1 Samuel 14, there are some amazing, amazing points about fear and overcoming fear I want to look at. Look what the scripture says in 1 Samuel 14. It says, On one day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to his armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. You have to understand that during this time, the Philistines had captured and they were fighting against Israel. Saul was king. Saul had 600 men with him. And the scripture tells us here that Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. And here's, here's the amazing thing, that with Saul was his men, and with Saul was the priest. And he was even wearing the ephod, or the garment of praise, that represented his relationship with God. So you have the king, you have the priest, and you have the people all in this place called Migron. And, and if you look at the Greek in Migron, it simply means this. Precipice. On the edge. Looking down. Do you realize that fear will put you on the precipice of victory or defeat? That, that when we fear, we're standing on the edge of whether God is going to do something or whether God's not going to do something. The only thing that can stop us as children of the living God is fear. Because fear is faith in the wrong thing. Fear is faith that it won't work out. 
Fear is faith that God will not come through for you. Fear is faith that, that God is not able, that God doesn't love you enough, that God doesn't care for you enough, that God doesn't, will not grant you victory. But I am here to tell you today that God is faithful and God is true and God is righteous and he will uphold his word. And if he says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, that you can stand on that and say, I don't care what my voice, that voice in my, inside of me is telling me that God is not going to deliver. I know his word is true, and I know that he said greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So I will take the word of God even over what I feel inside. Fear has to be overcome. I think every one of us have some God-given desire, dream, passion, something in our lives that, that we want to fulfill, that we want to accomplish, that we want to, to conquer, we want to succeed. And, it's, and the victorious are the ones that overcome their fear and take the step. That's called faith-filled living. See, being full of faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is moving ahead in spite of fear. I mean, many years ago, we just went through Halloween. I remember years ago, I was with my sister, which was a couple of years older, and my little brother, which was a couple of years younger. And we were out canvassing for the golden grail of candy on Halloween. And we were, we were walking around in, in uh, around Sacramento, California, and, and there's this house that was on the hill, and all the lights were off except for one light. And it was hanging from a just one cord, and it was a bare bulb. Do you know how scary and intimidating that is for a six-year-old? And yet the desire for a Hershey's candy bar or a payday, because I wanted a payday. I wanted a bucket load of candy. And it, and it drove me past my fear, and I remember you know, pushing my little brother ahead of me because my sister was behind me pushing me. And we made our way to the front and the door was open and, and we were terrified. My brother was so happy he was wearing yellow pants. Um, oh, and they made it so fearful and it was so terrifying. And yet when they finally did make it to the door, man... We were victorious because they gave us more candy than what we could even imagine. I think everybody else was too afraid to go at their door. So we were victorious. So it's just a matter of overcoming your fear. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? See, God blesses us when we set fear aside and we walk toward him. When Peter stepped out of the boat to walk on the water, he was full of faith and trust in the Lord. Scripture tells us when he looked down at the waves and he saw them and he, saw, and he became terrified, fear replaced his faith and he began to sink. See, it's where we put our eyes. Do we have our eyes on our situation or do we have our eyes on Christ? Are we looking at what's around us or are we trusting in him? See, Saul was fearfully waiting on that precipice. The priests 
were fearfully waiting on God. The people were fearfully waiting on direction. Because Scripture says without direction, without vision, people cast off restraint or people uh, that, that they lose heart. So when the leadership didn't have vision, when they were fearful and the priests were fearful, the people were fearful, and the Scripture, scripture says that, that Saul stayed and waited on the Lord. But look at the last part of this verse. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. And there's a reason for that. Jonathan decided to act when everybody else was cowering in fear. Jonathan said, I have to do something. I'm going to step out and do something. There is a time to wait on the Lord, and then there's a time to act. There's a time, and if you're waiting on the Lord, is a time where you're gaining strength. You're waiting in the right place at the right time. But if waiting on the Lord is casting fear in your heart, then it's time to step out and trust the Lord. If you've heard from the Lord and you know what he wants you to do, then overcome your fear and step out and say, this is what I'm going to do. Notice he did not tell his dad he was going. He didn't say, dad, I know you're king. I know the Philistines are over here. I'm going to go. Because if he would have, surely Saul, the priest, and the men around him would have tried to talk him out of it. Jonathan was simply trying to remove unbelief. See, unbelief is essential, or removing unbelief, rather, is essential in walking in faith. It was the negative report of the ten that cost Israel to walk around in the wilderness for 40 years. If all 12 would have come back with a positive report, Israel would have walked in 40 years sooner. But it was that negative report when Jesus wanted to heal the young girl and, and he cast out all of the mourners. He cast out everybody out of the house because he did not want anybody in there that was full of doubt. Jesus himself even cast out the doubters. And there are times to mourn and there are times to stop mourning and to rise up to the challenge of the day. Uh, individuals and church bodies, it doesn't matter whether it's a church body or an individual, there is a time to decide that this is the time to act, that you have to act where you are with what you have and not allow fear to intimidate you. My older brother and sister-in-law were in the store one day and, and uh, they heard that there was a guy that was had, were robbing the store, armed, armed was taking all the money from the cashiers. So my brother decided he couldn't walk very fast, couldn't run very fast. So he sent his wife to run to the back of the store. And he figured that he would be better, have a better chance of hitting the guy. So he picked up a can of cream corn. Because if he came around the corner, he was going to get creamed. 
my sister was running toward the back of the store and, and, and she was yelling at everybody, come on, back to the store, the store is being robbed, the store is being robbed. And she looked over and the guy running next to her had a mask on with a gun. She was telling him, we're being robbed. But at least they acted. At least they acted. They acted on, on, on where they were in the circumstances. And there's just sometimes you can't invite everybody's opinion into what you're doing. You have to remove the doubt, remove the fear, and begin to walk in faith in your own life. Walk in faith. Notice Notice something else, that not only did Jonathan act, not, not only did Jonathan cast out, cast out the, the unbelief, but Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come, let's go to, over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Very key here. Remember that circumcision was the sign that you belong to God. What Jonathan was saying was he was declaring the enemy for who they are. He was telling his armor bearer, now wait a minute, these Philistines that are here are uncircumcised. What he was saying is they have no part in the promises and the covenant that God has made with us. That, that God said that he would always be with us. That God would always be there to protect us. That if we would just humble ourselves before him that he would be our God and that we would be his people that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey God is is on our side he's not on their side I think sometimes we need to realize that as well that when the enemy is against us we need to realize it doesn't matter how formidable the adversary looks the promises in the word of God do not belong to the adversary that, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world still stands today. That you are the children of God. That you have the promises of God. That there is no weapon formed against you that shall prosper because God has overcome the adversary. That Christ defeated him and we are the children of the living God. And because Christ lives, we live. Because Christ is victorious, you and I are victorious. Wow. We have the promises of the Word of God. The adversary doesn't have the promises of the Word of God. The only way he can defeat you or I is try to get us to stand on something else other than the Word of God. When we stand on the Word of God, the Scripture says in Ephesians, when you've done all to stand, stand. Just stand there on the Word of God, knowing this rock shall not be moved, that upon this rock I will build my church, and even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's you. That's me. That's anybody that is born again uh, of, of the Spirit. That we are the children of God. We need to look at our adversary and realize, now wait a minute. The promises are ours. They're not his. They're ours. They're our promises. So Jonathan called them for what they were. Your enemy doesn't have those promises. And I want you to notice as well in this passage of Scripture, and I really find it really interesting that Jonathan decided, he said, here's what I'm going to do. 
we're going to go over to the Philistines and, and we're going we're to say, if, if they want to come down to us, that's not God. If we get over there and they just fall over, that's not God. But if we get over there and they say, hey, why don't you climb up this hill, which is the dumbest plan I've ever heard in my entire life. It's the toughest scenario that he could have thought of. But he said, if they say, come up to us, we're going to know God's with us and we're going. Now, God could, when we're praying, and you're asking God for a solution, God could make it really easy. And there are sometimes I have wondered, God, why don't you make it easier? But do you realize that 99.9% of the time, the, the situation that we're facing, it's, when it's resolved and the conflict is taken care of when we hit the adversary head on right in the strength and the power of what he is trying to accomplish in our lives? Notice that, that Jonathan didn't say, man, I'm going I'm to wait until God takes him out. He said, I'll climb the hill. I'll face him right in what he considers his strength because greater is he that's, that's with me. And if God is for us, who can be against us? I don't know why God works that way, but I know he does. And I know that when he does, he shows himself strong because he puts us in these situations that when you're delivered... He's the only one that can get glory. I mean, year, years ago, uh, Nancy and a friend of hers that were in, a, in an auto accident, a guy came and hit them, and they were, they were safe, and, and they weren't hurt, and we were thankful for that, but our car was totaled. And the insurance company gave us a car for 30 days. And, and then they said, after 30 days, turn it back and you know, give you time to get another car. And that sounded like a really good plan. But the problem was I only had like $200. Can't buy cars for $200. And really it was at a, at a point I couldn't really afford a, a payment either. You ever been there? Yeah. So, so we, we prayed, we interceded, we waited on God, we we. One day we would have faith, the next day we would cry like a baby. You know, we, we trusted in God. We were doing everything we knew. And on the 29th day, Friday night, on the 29th day, the next day I had to turn the rental car in at noon. We still didn't have a car. Nancy was reading the paper and she said, hey, there's a car dealership that's having a special. They're going to give a car away for $49. And I thought, wow, okay, we'll try it. So I got up, midnight, got around, got over to the car dealership about 2 a.m. There was already two or three people in line. So I stood in line from 2 o'clock until um, I think it was they opened up at 9 or 10. We just stood there, and, and I looked around at all the cars. And what they were doing is they were trying to sell all their used cars that people had traded in and, and one of them was going to be $49 and I, and I saw this Oldsmobile Cutlass over here and I thought I really like that one I'm going to go for that but I was, I was standing in line with, with a lot of younger guys and, and they were talking about going for that car too because they wanted to make it uh, they wanted to put hydraulics on it and, and everything else and I thought Jesus you're going to have to help me outrun these guys because I am not 18 and they are so, so we waited and waited, and when they opened the gate, I ran and got in the car, 
and had to sit there for about an hour. And would you believe when they came around to me, they said, you're in the $49 car. They said, do you want to buy it? I said, no. No, I did not. I said, absolutely, I want to buy it. Went in, bought the car, paid for the tags and everything. It came out to $199. Drove the rental car over to and dropped it off. And when we were driving out of the parking lot in our, in our 1980-something cutlass, I looked down at the, at, the, uh, at the clock, and it was exactly 12 o'clock. And I realized that that's exactly when we had to have the car back, and I realized God does provide. It gets better than that. Two weeks later, we heard of another $49 car. They also, I, we took some friends, and we thought, well, man, God, God's really good. I like driving this one. And so we get there, and got there a little later, and, and they open up the, the, the gates, and everybody walks in. I walk over and sit in this little uh, Toyota, about an hour later, they came by and said, you're in the $49 car. And I thought, this is great. So I bought that car, sold the Cutlass, and bought my wife some furniture because we needed some. And, and then it was great. So about a month later, they had another sell. And so we drive up to Sacramento, and there's like 100 people in line. And I'm thinking, well, we'll never get in. So I'm just kind of wandering around. They open the gates. I'm wandering around, and everybody's grabbed all these cars. And I go sit in this little car, and about an hour later, they came and said, you're in the $49 car. Three cars. God is so good. You know, it's amazing when you step out in faith. If you would have asked me 29 and a half days before that, how is God going to provide? Well, I don't know. If you would have said, you know, here's what God's going to do. He's going to encourage you to get on over to that, that car dealership, get out of bed, get up and go over there and, and outrun all these young guys and sit in that car and, and get that $49 car. I said, no, that's crazy. I'd never heard of that. But not once, not twice, but three times. God not only provided for us a car, but he gave us two others. That one we could sell and buy furniture, and the other one we sell, sold and paid off a bill. Drove the one car for about two years and traded it off for over $2,000. God is so good. If I would have allowed fear to intimidate me and I would have never got out of bed, I would have never seen God work. If Jonathan would have never said, I'm going to go face the enemy, he would have never seen God work. What adversary are you up against? And do you think it's time to say, I'm, I'm going to go because if God is for me, who can be against me? When Jesus was in the garden, he was facing an adversary that, that no human had ever defeated. Many people had died. Even ones that had been brought back to life eventually died. And here's Jesus in the garden, faced with death.
and he hit it head on as he was praying in the garden and he was praying to our Heavenly Father and he said, not my will, but your will be done. I am going through with this. And he allowed himself to be mocked and beaten and drugged through the streets and crucified. And the weight of the world, the sin of the world, was placed on him. Can you imagine never experiencing the guilt of sin? Never, ever. And the separation that that causes. And then all of a sudden having the weight, the sin of the world. Your sins, my sins, the sins of the world poured on you. Jesus felt that. He cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Experienced death. Overcame death. Conquered death. Christ is still alive today. But he hit the adversary head on. So now you and I have this great opportunity, this promise that because he lives, we live. Because he rose from the dead, we too shall rise from the grave. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you die before he comes back, I will promise you this one thing, that when that trumpet sounds, there is nothing that will keep you in the grave. You shall arise. And we live by that. But we live because he lives. And he lives because he overcame all things. When we partake in communion, we are remembering what he did. That he gave his life. That he gave his body to be broken for us. He gave his blood as an atonement for our sins. That when the Father looks at us, We've been washed and cleansed, not by our own merit, but by that substitution of what Christ did for us. It's as if the blood is a covering for us, that we are pure and righteous in his eyes because of what Christ did. And as often as we partake in communion, we are to remember what he did. And there are many elements aspects or facets that we could look at and, and what Christ did for us. Today, I want you to look at this one concept, that Christ overcame all things, put aside his feelings. I can't imagine. And you say, well, you know, he's the son of God, so he didn't have any fear. Scripture says he was tempted in all points as we are. I can't imagine the anguish that Christ had that night in the garden, wrestling with self. And yet he was victorious because he hid 
and hit the adversary head on. Can I encourage you? If there is a doubt or a worry, if there is a, an aspect of your life that you're wrestling with, that, that you're struggling with, that fear grips you every time you think about it, and I know there is because we're human, I wonder if today is the day that as we partake in communion and we remember what the Lord did for us, I wonder if today is the day that, that, that we could say, I'm putting my faith in the Lord. I'm putting my trust in Him. I'm no longer going to live as a slave to fear because I'm a child of the living God. And I no longer have to be subjected to fear and to doubt and to intimidation because Christ lives and Christ lives in me. My friends, it's time. It's time that we live to the fullest in what Christ has given us and living in the abundance of grace.